Good morning, Reading Family Church. Are you all warm enough? Numbers of people have still got their jackets on. We need to keep singing well, don't we, sometimes in the early mornings just to keep us warm. Uh, If we haven't met before, uh, my name is Sean, and one of the things I really enjoy doing is cycling. And here's a photograph of from the summer for me. Um, If you're unaware, there's something called the South Downs Way that runs from Winchester uh, through to Eastbourne, and it's a 100-mile-long bridle path. And uh, last summer, I cycled this, and what that meant was I spent a lot of my time looking for the signposts of the South Downs Way. It becomes like a hobby as you go along, and by the end of it, your aisle is dialed in. Now, the reason I tell us that this morning is that today... Uh, I've entitled it Signpost Sunday. I want to tell you, really, about the way that we are going as a church, the way that we've always travelled, the way that we are travelling, and the way that we will be travelling. And that way isn't the South Downs way, or I hope to do it again this summer. It was really great fun on my bike. But actually, the way that we want to continue is with discipleship. And more than that, more specifically, is that we're making disciples who make disciples. And I'll bring that to our attention this morning because this is the way that God is leading us as a church. We want to be a church who make disciples that make disciples. Have you got that? Now, I'm guessing there's a range of people in this room this morning. I'm hoping and expecting there are a number of people who would say, look, I'm not yet a believer. I'm not yet sure about where I stand about Jesus that you've all been singing about. And we're so glad to have you amongst us. I'm guessing there are many, many believers in the room. In fact, I would say the vast majority in the room are believers. My concern is, I want to make a distinction is that we've got many believers in the room, but not as many disciples. People who believe in Jesus, but actually, you're not yet a disciple. What I mean is by disciple, it's those who consider themselves a student of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, someone who considers himself a practitioner of Jesus' teaching. Those have accepted an invitation of a lifelong journey of active obedience to Jesus. And as we gather new people up, and I'm hoping there's many unbelievers here, I'm hoping there's many believers here, but the vast majority of people in this church need to be disciples of Jesus. And more than that, rather than just a disciple, but a disciple that is making disciples. Can you see the distinction? And I'm hoping, and I'm signposting, this is the way of Reading Family Church, because that is the way of Jesus. I want to remind us of that this morning. Because if I'm really honest, the salvation process that we've adopted at RFC isn't always helpful, because we tend to focus here on solving the problem of sin, and not so much on the lifelong invitation of active obedience to Jesus Christ. And we just need to keep pointing this out. This is really important to us, always has been, is, and will continue to be so whilst you've got this team of elders and deacons in play. We're good for that? 
So let me just turn in the Bible just to let you know some of the things, or to remind many of us, some of the things that Jesus said. So let's turn in your Bibles, if you have it, to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Let me pray right at the beginning. The bell's ringing. It probably means it's nearly 10 o'clock or 5 to 10. Holy Spirit, we thank you for helping us in our singing. Thank you for the song choices of David helping us to focus so clearly. Thank you so much for the contributions. But Holy Spirit now, please attract our attention, animate us, that these teachings of Jesus would come alive to us, I pray. Come Holy Spirit for everyone who's online right now and in the room. Stir our hearts, Holy Spirit, that we would have soil that would receive the seeds of the gospel and produce 30, 60, 100-fold that which has been put into us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to join the story towards the beginning of Jesus' public ministry for when he was about 30 years old, this three or so years that he spent traveling around proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus, Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew... Also, Levi had two names. I mean, Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. So Matthew was a tax collector for the Roman occupiers. He would have been very good at record keeping, detailed record keeping. And also not caring what everyone else thought. Tax collectors had to raise a certain amount of money for the Roman occupiers. And they could do additional amounts to that and they could keep it for themselves. They were despised. They were hated. And they collected money from their own to give to the occupiers. So he was an unlikely candidate to be a follower of Jesus. And as Jesus walked past his tax collector's booth, he calls this disreputable sinner to be his disciple, to follow him. And, and Matthew goes. Now, we don't know if that was the last time he ever raised taxes, but what we do know, by the time that Jesus died and rose again and ascended over that three-year period, it seems that Matthew has given up, he's renounced his old way of living, and now he's given himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ to establishing the church. So Matthew was called by Jesus. He certainly, by the end, left everything. He was no longer working for the Roman Empire. I want to say that again. He was no longer working for the good of the Roman Empire, but now he's working for the kingdom of heaven. And that just got me thinking of what was going on in Matthew's life, this huge transformation, what was happening. And I want to introduce us to what I call at least a tool that I've lived out for over three decades, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, what I call the wheel of discipleship. Because Matthew started this as he stepped out of the booth. In reality, he started a long journey for three or so years and then much longer afterwards of being a Christ-centered, spirit-filled believer who lived in active obedience to Christ. That's how we started. 
And as we track his life, it seems to be how he continued. He was a true disciple, not just a believer of Jesus. There was no doubt, and if you've read Acts 2, it's been referred to this morning, there was no doubt that Matthew would have been part of this new community in Jerusalem, this post-Pentecost crowd of people who devoted themselves to the fellowship of believers and to the study of God's word and to prayer. His obedience to bearing witness to Jesus was supremely displayed. The letter that we now call the Gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew. So he was committed to proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Now, I like this idea of a will. This is the will from my mountain bike. I've had a lot of fun with this will. The reason I like about the will of discipleship is that this will has given me a huge amount of joy. Yesterday I was out on my bike. We left early morning. We saw the sunrise. As we were riding along, we had coffee in Windsor. I saw deer run across the road. I got dropped on the hills and on the flats. I was hanging off the back trying to keep up with the boys. We had, I came back by half past ten. I'd had a fantastic day. The reason I like about the wheel of discipleship, because a wheel is something that gives me great joy. And when you're at a de- a disciple of Jesus Christ, not just a believer. It's important to believe, but when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, it brings joy into your life. It feels like you just become alive and you fight. I love this idea of a wheel of discipleship where you're, we're at the hub that we are Christ-centered. The, the hub is, is the thing on a, on a wheel that gives a direction to the wheel. On a bike, the hub is a thing that delivers the power to move it forward. But that Christ is to be the hub, the center of our lives, giving us direction. Where are we truly going in life and also eternally, of course? And the power for this life comes from being Christ-centered. And these spokes, as I like to think of them, for simplicity, I've just got it down to four, of, of prayer and the Word of God. Remember we talk about prayer here. The disciples had this spoke of prayer, of praise, repentance, asking and yielding. Do you remember we introduced that analogy? That when we pray, we should be praising God and repenting, asking and then yielding to God's will. We should be having this sense of communing with God. You're not just doing a devotional time. When you pray, you're spending time with, you're fellowshipping, you're dialoguing with God. And in those moments of prayer, we can lament that things aren't dropping out as we hoped, that we are being treated badly, that whilst we know God is still on the throne, we're lamenting of our situation. That's, that's prayer. And fellowship, that we value and see the importance of being with God's people, of being part of the body, of being active in the body, of serving, loving, caring, looking out for one another. Disciples of Jesus are involved in prayer and fellowship and the Word of God. I prefer using the word Word than Bible because Bible just means collection of books. What we have is something more than just a collection of books. These are God's words to us for life and healing and righteousness. This is the very word of God. We can be confident that what God has spoken here is true. This is more than just a collection of books and letters. 
This is the word of God that we can lift up and elevate. And this sense of witness, that we bear witness to what Christ has done in our lives. We participate. We get to participate in bringing people to God. That's amazing, isn't it? I realized in my own life, I I worked on a bike about 10 or so days ago, and it had a broken spoke. And uh, the guy didn't even know he had a broken spoke, and uh, the wheel was still true. But I found of these four spokes... If you bust one of these, you get a wobbly will. And as I've considered myself, as I do at the start of year, I realize this whole area of witness, I have lost so much ground on this. I feel like I've got this wobbly will in my life. Witness for me has been reduced to on a Sunday morning proclaiming the gospel and occasionally have a conversation with a neighbor. When I was first saved in 1989, I set up a bookstore at lunchtime in our faculty. Uh, throughout my, Christ- my life as a believer, I used to tithe my annual leave to mission. I just thought nothing of that. I was, when Liz and I were first married, I just booked a week off and we've led evangelism teams uh, into Wales and into uh, Stanford and other places. We just did that. When I was between jobs, when we were first married, I was given a month's gardening leave. My company said, you've resigned, you need to leave because you're going to competitor. For that month, all I did was go door to door. There was what else? Well, I don't want to decorate. I didn't want to do sport. Why would I do that? I've got a month I can invest going door to door for people. And now I find myself age 56. I've reduced the witness part of my life to this kind of broken spoke of uh, it's a Sunday. People come to me and I tell them for the last two or three minutes, I compress it in. Some try to bear witness to Jesus. So I'm feeling in my own life there's some weakness here. But I'm not done. I know grace. It's not all over. I can still go again. I just realised I need to pay attention to that spoke. But the truth is, we've got a hub spoke, but there's this rim. The thing that people actually see is not what you believe. It's the life you live. A life devoted to Christ is seen through active obedience to his teaching. You might know his teaching, but if you don't act on it, they can't see your belief. It's just too complicated. It's too hard for them to work that all out. Active devotion to Christ is where our faith meets the road. But this is signpost Sunday, so it's not just about being disciples of Jesus. It's about pointing the way that we're going to be disciples who make disciples. Are we good for that? Okay, let's move on. Let's keep it moving. So disciples who make disciples. So we see when Matthew is first called, he leaves his booth, his way of living, his sense of identity. I'm guessing he was fairly good at that job. And now we're going to jump to Matthew's last words that he wrote in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Early on Sunday morning, oh no, 19 to 20, not right at the beginning. Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Jesus came, so this is, the context of this is that Jesus is at the end of his public ministry. He's been betrayed. Jesus has been arrested. 
He's been crucified. He's been buried. Incredibly, he rose from the dead. And then he says to his disciples, go to this mountain. And he says this to them. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you read uh, 28 verse 16, what's really sobering, it says that only 11 of the disciples made it to the mountain. My heart is, sisters, brothers, a heart here is that every believer, every disciple makes it to that mountain. We don't want to lose one. We don't want to lose one. But not everyone makes it. Not everyone makes it. One was lost, but 11 did get there. We want to be counted amongst the 11, don't we? And their obedience to go to the mountain brought encounter and fresh revelation. But some doubted. We see that in verse 17. We'll come back to that. Some doubted. And what we see in verses uh, 19 to 20, 18, 19 to 20, is what I like to think about as the discipleship sandwich that we're going to offer to the world. And the bread and the, and the filling is what I want to point out. 18, 19, and 20. Hopefully I've piqued your imagination. Verse 18 is the assurance, the top slice of bread if you like, that Jesus has given all authority in heaven and earth. So Jesus, risen from the dead, has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And verse 20 is this promise. So we've got assurance and we've got a promise that the one who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth is going to be with us always to the end of the age. Can you see how I'm building the sandwich? So he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth and he's always going to be with us, but the sandwich filling is on us. We get to bring that. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Read that again. This is, what, this is the filling. This is the bit that we do. We are to go. This is Jesus commanding us. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And that still applies to us, even though some of us are mature believers. 
So we're called to be disciples who make disciples. I think what Matthew is saying and wants to be ringing in our ears after all that he said is that it's almost as if Jesus would say this. This is anonymous, which I found quite uncomfortable. Until you have formed Christ in someone, you have done nothing. Kind of the last word of Matthew, who left his tax booth, who wrote up what we call the Gospel of Matthew. It seems if the lasting words of Jesus are saying to us, until you've formed Christ in someone, you have done nothing. There are many things we can do with our lives, but if we're not forming Christ in people, you've done nothing. You may learn to drive a car this year. Maybe you'll run a 5K. Maybe you'll get a promotion or try and pass an exam. Maybe you'll be involved in a new business or maybe start a new business. Maybe this year you're going to help raise kids or raise other people's kids. Maybe this year you're going to start caring for the poor. But Matthew 28 leaves us with, if you're not forming Christ in people, you've done nothing of note. Is that kind of sitting with us all? I think it's important that we pick up on that. We move on. Disciples who make disciples. 2 Timothy 2, verse Paul. Uh, Paul picks this up. The Apostle Paul picks up on this imperative that we're disciples who make disciples, who uh, train other people, that we teach new disciples to obey all the commands that Jesus has given us. Paul says this to Timothy, his spiritual son, his disciple. He says to him, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace, through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So Paul is saying, Timothy, you've, you've heard me teach you, and it's been verified by other people. There's this whole collective understanding of what it means. So yes, it's, don't come up with novel ideas, but make sure that it's in accordance with what I've taught you that has been agreed by and confirmed by reliable witnesses. Now, teach all those truths to other trustworthy people who in turn take those truths that they have been taught and they pass them on to other trustworthy people. There's this sense of we receive and then we pass on and that means we receive the imperative that we're disciples who make disciples. Being busy for Jesus isn't the same as making a disciple of Jesus. Being busy for Jesus isn't the same as making a disciple of Jesus. There are many believers in this church who are busy. We need disciples who are making disciples. This is the way. Sounds like Mandalorian, doesn't it? Those who watch that Star Wars spin-off. This is the way of Christ. This is the way of Reading Family Church. Sisters, brothers, let's not settle 
for being busy for Jesus. Please stop being busy for Jesus. We need to be making disciples who in turn make disciples. I've done a little bit of reading around this historically, what's been going on. And I want to tell you about John Calvin's pews. John Calvin's was this Christian reformer, lived four or five hundred years ago and started what we call the Protestant Reformation. And John Calvin lived with this understanding that we're to teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. In John Calvin's day, if you attended a church meeting in Europe, the service would have been expressed in a Catholic tradition. And in those days... Not so much now, but in those days, uh, the church buildings, you, you would come into the building, uh, the congregation would stand so they get more people in, and then the service and the rituals would be performed by the priests at the front, all in Latin. Your only contribution really was being in the room, dropping off your offerings and taking communion. And because the service was in Latin, and because they largely weren't playing a part in the meeting, uh, the people would stand, talk amongst themselves, get distracted until the end. You were then associated with Christ through all the sacraments that had gone on by other people. You would then leave. When John Calvin and the other people came in, because they understood the importance that disciples need to obey all the commands that have been given, one of the first things the reformers did is they put in pews into church buildings. They tried to create a schoolroom environment so they could teach. They changed the language of the meeting to heart languages. And the Bible was read to Bible so that people could learn, so they can obey, so they could be taught. Just one of the first things John Calvin did, because Jesus said, teach new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. So John Calvin's response in his day, and others, was to put pews in, seats and change the language of the meeting, the sense of teaching, not performing rituals. Let's think of another thing. We all need help in the kitchen. Disciples are made, not born. Uh, we've got three children. At some point, I hope to be a grandparent. Uh, when uh, Sean Jr. is brought to our house, or Shauna, if it's a girl, obviously, when they come in, Sean Jr., I'm holding him. I've got custody of Sean Jr. as a newborn. What I'm not going to do is take Sean Jr. or Shauna, happy with either, put Shauna on the counter and say, hey, Shauna, you're a few days old. There's the fridge. There's the oven. The pots and pans are there. Keep warm and well fed. I'm off. You'll be pleased to know, Liz, please report. I will not do that with Sean Jr. or baby Shauna. I will not do that because clearly... Babies, young children, children, teenagers, husbands, sometimes, and wives, sometimes need a bit more support and love to be able to feed themselves in the kitchen. Hoping that in time, they'll be able to, not able to feed themselves, but others. I did a great air fried chicken breast dish last night. Quite pleased with that. Admittedly, Liz gave me the menu, bought the ingredients, and did a few adjustments. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> oh yes, I can do more than chili con carne now. <laughs> disciples who make disciples don't expect newborns to be able to feed themselves. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. 
we, we, we need to just call it out for what it is. So we need to be disciples who make disciples. And the disciples we make need to be able to reproduce themselves. Now let's go back to so this, this idea of a world. Now I understand that a lot of people here, I mean, if I pick up a world, you're thinking, where's the rest of the bike? I don't really care. Now for me, this is a real symbol of joy and adventure and life and delight. Maybe this model of discipleship doesn't work for you. But you need to come up with your own plan to not only disciple yourself, but to disciple other people. So maybe this world isn't your thing. But you do need a thing if you're taking Jesus seriously. If you're just a believer, you are in trouble because you're not the very last command that Matthew records doesn't give, you, give us any wriggle room on this. So maybe you prefer the whole idea of knowledge, skill, and character. When you sit down, maybe consider somebody else. Think, where are the gaps in their knowledge, depending where they are on their spiritual journey? Are they clear on what the whole counsel of Scripture teaches? Or maybe their understanding of grace needs some help. Or maybe the skill of being able to read different genres of Scripture, whether it's a narrative, or historical, or poetry, or wisdom literature, or a letter. They don't have those Bible skills. Or when you consider the someone you want to disciple, what their character is. Whether they still feel incredibly greedy or self-centered or lazy or impatient. You, you need something that says, I, I need a tool, I need a plan to help this person grow. So they can not just feed themselves in the kitchen, but they can feed other people in their kitchen. So maybe... It, Knowledge, skills, and character isn't you. Maybe it's the, the who, what, and how. Who can you disciple? Who is God putting in your path that you can invest into? And if that is, you figure out who the who is. What is their what? What do they need to do to have Christ formed in them? And how can you play your part to that? And for how long? Six months be with them. Normally, after six months with me, I've given you all that I've got. You're best off moving on to someone else because the point isn't that I've got it all. The point is in our church family, we've got it all. So you don't need to be a disciple of someone for years and years and years. Maybe they can get something out of you in a month and you give them your gift. We need to bring us all through to maturity. I was talking to Dan Rogers this week as one of the conversations I've had on discipleship and he reminded me of the importance of just simply spending time with people. He uses language like, I just observe people and they observe me and they grow lots like that. So let's spin it again. Who should you be spending more time with with a view of forming Christ in them but in a less formal way? That doesn't mean it's some kind of a Bible study or an assessment or an hour meetup. Just spending time with them but intentionally talking about Jesus. We're on our bikes. We always talk at some point about spiritual things. Those who ride with me, you know, we're going to get there. And actually, everything is spiritual. Everything should be tying down to having Christ at the center, giving us direction and power. And we commune with him through the word, through witness, through fellowship, and through prayer so we can be actively obedient. You can see, it just works for me. What's yours? How and what tools will you be using? We need to be disciples who make disciples. Probably the biggest hindrance 
to their discipleship as people watch you, it's not the strength of their doubts, but the dullness of our worship. And it's uncomfortable. Because when we see Matthew 28, we can see that in verse 16, 11 got to the mountain, they worshipped, but some doubted. Doubts are okay. But dullness in worship, and I'm not talking about how we sing, how you worship through God through all of life, that is probably the biggest hindrance of you making disciples that make disciples. I think McCulloch has trademarked that, you know, don't trust a, a skinny chef. It's probably running out of date now. But it's true. I want a chef who's overweight because he's obviously making great food. <laughs> you know, that's, that makes perfect sense to me. But if your worship of God is dull, that can be a huge hindrance to making disciples who make disciples. So I talked to this morning, it was about Signpost Sunday. That the way of Reading Family Church is that we're disciples who make disciples. I've just got a footnote now. If the band could just start coming back, or at least one, because they're just going to play quietly, and we'll create a moment to get for you to think. If It doesn't have to be the whole band, but if just to play quietly, what we can do. Quick footnote to this. Disciples who make disciples, we do need space. We are a growing family. And on Sundays, it feels like we're a family trying to fit into a two-bed house. Uh, Liz's brother's in London. He's got three kids in a two-bed house. It's quite a two-red flat. It's quite a small flat at the best. Uh, he, I don't know what they're going to do. There's not, they've, got bunk, have they got bunk beds. I'm not sure if they can get a third bed in the room, in the kids' room, or if one of them's in with them. They're having to figure out how are the five of them going to live in this two-bed house where they're going to have a pull-out bed in the front room. I just don't know how it's all going to work. What I do know, our Sundays are increasingly becoming like that. They're starting to get uncomfortable in our kids' work. We've got over 200 under-18s now that meet on a Sunday morning over between the two meetings, which is a great problem to have in here now. 15 months ago, we did Jump Sunday from one congregation to two. The nine is starting to get to have a look around. We're almost we're at capacity in here now, and more people are being sent. And the eleven is is about the same. So we are disciples who are making disciples. We need space. What I'm saying is we need space on Sundays. And the space we have midweek through the offices are just the wrong shape for us. We're so limited increasingly what we can do there. So I'm just flagging right now that from September at the latest, we've got to start making some changes because we are a church of discipleship. We're going to be disciples who make disciples and we're going to need space because Jesus is going to build. So the band are going to play for us right now. Can I flick the screen up of the will and then the skills, character, knowledge? I know what happens. For those who've got children, you're going to go and pick them up, forget about what's been said. For those who are single, you're going to probably talk about uh, what you're doing this afternoon or have other things on your brain, whatever there is. I just want to be everyone to know, whilst I've been here one of the longest, I am not the chief disciple maker here. 
We're all called to be disciples of Jesus. And we're all called to be disciples who make disciples. And whether you're an unbeliever or a believer or a disciple or a disciple who makes disciple, I want everyone to take a step, take their next step from unbelief to belief, from belief to be a disciple, someone who's got active obedience to Christ. And then a disciple who makes disciples. Take seriously the mandate to reproduce yourself in them in such a way that they reproduce themselves in others.